on today's show. I think the, 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 the way people really, you know, when you see someone like Oprah Winfrey recently given that speech at the Golden right. Globe, like if your heart didn't beat faster, you're an asshole. And by the way, like if you for some reason see that speech and, and it doesn't give you goosebumps, like I, I'm going to tell you any one of the clients that we're working with today, you should fire us today. Yeah. Because like that, whether you like her or not, she spoke from her soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's how we received it. Whether again, you like it or not, doesn't matter. Yep. So that's to me the best form of art where it is like unencumbered, unfiltered, not worried about sort of this human condition mm-hmm. that it's just sort of coming from me, which is actually coming from you, which is the exact same thing because we are all the same fucking thing. Five, four, three, two, one, one. Welcome to the Creator Institute podcast. Hey everyone, it's Eric. Today we're gonna we're gonna hear the story of what one author's journey was like when he drove by a Barnes and Noble and realized that the book that he had just launched was a New York Times bestseller and was rated above Fifty Shades of Grey. We'll hear from Joe McClinsky and and his story of of sort of basically writing and publishing a book that kind of open sourced all of the things his company had been doing called Grow Regardless and the surprising kind of impact that that had on him and his trajectory, kind of what doors it opened and ultimately what he learned when he sent a copy to every single member of Congress. Uh, over 500 people received a book and the surprising things he learned from that from that experience. What, what is exciting to talk about with Joe is this concept of, of sharing your knowledge and what happens when you open source that knowledge and and the, the positive results that, that, that emerge. Uh, Joe's now working on his next book, which will be coming out in, in a few short months. Um, but you hear the story of, of what it was like to be someone who kind of always had to level up his game. Um, he played football at, at Johns Hopkins and, and ultimately was able to use that to, to, to develop his first business venture with a co-founder and has used that to continue to grow. He's been uh, a finalist for the Entrepreneur of the Year Award and, and ultimately his story is fascinating hearing, uh, hearing the story from the Baltimore kid done well and, uh, and, and the, the guy who launched a book who was able to, to knock the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey from its perch uh, at number one. Uh, Joe McClinsky, everyone, I hope you enjoy the interview. It's a great, fun, fun time. I am so excited uh, to welcome my friend Joe to the podcast. Joe and I met, uh, God, it's almost like a like a half decade here. We've, we've known each other uh, and uh, it's been fascinating to see. We sort of... Uh, crossed our paths and and kind of this broader Baltimore DC area and uh, and so I'm really excited to have you on today to, to chat thanks for having me man it has been an interesting uh, half of decade I've never heard someone refer to it that way it's a thing now now you know now you know you, you we're, we're going through our half decade anniversary here this an early win I like it that's right <laughs> awesome well I want to chat with you today a little bit about your adventures as as a human and, and what I one of the things that I love most about watching you talk about yourself is that you always have this very understated way you describe yourself. Uh, you're, you're sort of, you know, you're always the guy who sort of says you're fortunate to be there. And you talk about that a little bit kind of growing up in Baltimore and getting the opportunity to go to Hopkins. Um, so talk a little bit about that sort of that feeling of basically leveling up your game by coming from sort of the, you know, a normal kid in Baltimore into, uh, into the world of Hopkins. What was that like for you? And what did that kind of make you think about yourself as an entrepreneur and just ultimately as someone who, who wanted to up his game? 
Yeah, well, look, I mean, there's a lot in that question. I think, you know, it's one thing to swim in a pond that you're pretty familiar with. But when I went from the, the worst high school in Maryland to one of the best colleges in the country, you know, it was a whole new level of anxiety and a whole new level of fear. And you just feel like you're behind. You know, I mean, I think, uh, uh, you know, not to like make this uh, like a, a vlog here, but, you know, <laughs> says that, you know, all the pain and the suffering in the world is the distance between where you are and where you want to be like that. Mm. That level of expectation setting that we all do it for ourselves every single day, we are like our own worst critic. And in that particular context, I was, it was a tough four years for me. I mean, look, borderline illiterate going into the school, never read a book front to back, never wrote a paper, never didn't know how to type, still don't. Um, academically, I was woefully behind, but I, you know, it was also just emotionally. I had a lot going on personally. Yeah. My mom was sick. I, you know, just again, a lot of personal issues and, you know, what I learned quickly you know, both in a good way and a bad way was to put on a mask. And, you know, that mask was when someone asked me about, you know, my, you know, where I was from, I was with a bunch of really wealthy, smart, you know, stable people. So I wouldn't give them the story. You know, I put on a mask of, well, I am too. I fit in. I belong. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and, and, and that sort of persisted through my next journey of starting a company where, you know, I was really super young, 23, started a consulting firm. And, you know, by all measures, I'm not suggesting that's a good or bad path, but <laughs> you're not knowing anything at all and claiming you're an expert in something is, is a whole nother story for another day. But, but again, that, that mask really, I put on like a, a double and triple mask for like the next five to six years of my career of really not opening up and sharing people in my journey because I looked at that as a disadvantage. I looked at it as a, a you know, kind of a, a knock on what I knew as opposed to, you know, really being an asset and an unfair advantage. I mean, when I look back now on my background, there really isn't a, a consulting firm or someone who's got the story I have. And, you know, it's, it's a pretty cool and unique story. And, you know, I think it's it's the more that I've been open about it, the more, to your point, you know, we've talked about this in the past, the more really good shit happens. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a fast. It is fascinating. I think that there is this concept of biting the upper lip and just not sharing things. But I think you you uh, the more you share, the more the more good things happen um, along that that road. Yeah. You know, you talk about uh, kind of the college journey and, and I have a bunch of college students that, that, uh, you know, take class with me and listen to this. And I love the way you describe sort of almost the Piper nature of you starting your first business in college, the, the painting business that went from sort of this, like, Hey, I'll, I'll use this to make a little money to your, uh, your, your network of over 150 people. Talk, talk about building a painting company with, uh, with sort of this, uh, you know, I need to make money. And next thing you know, you've created a, a mini empire. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I, I would love to tell you that out of the womb, I was an entrepreneur. I definitely always had a hustle side of me, whether it was like shoveling snow or, you know, or selling different interesting things in Baltimore City, which we'll leave it at that. Or <laughs> when I got to college, you know, I, you know, I was literally eating out of a tuna fish can and was just, it, it was out of sheer desperation. And I got a flyer in the mail. It was for a, 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 basically a franchise to start up a little painting business and, you know, to me, like this was my first chance to, to kind of reset that expectation that we just talked about. So like this was my warp speed into where I thought I should be. This was, you know, I think also my first time having all these like little side jobs growing up, like steaming crabs or delivering furniture or being a security guard or bartending or cooking or I mean, I legitimately had, you know, at least a dozen and a half jobs before I got to college. I remember the one thing about me and my whole 
childhood was I hated being told what to do. I mean, even for my <laughs> parents, more so than yeah. I, mean, I just, when you look at my, if I'm tested for biases, there's two of them. One is I always think that it's possible. And two, um, I, I don't react well to authority. I mean, I am the classic case of reverse psychology. <laughs> yeah. To do it and I'll go do it. I'm just, I'm easy to program that way. And so for me, you know, starting out with this idea of being your own boss was less about the ego of telling others. And it was more about the space I now had mm. to act on some of the crazy ass ideas I thought I might have. And so, you know, for me, it was understanding how to manage and really, you know, kind of create this you know, without talking like we're all new agey here, but really create space, Yeah. you know, to start to sit back and say, you know, gosh, like from a strategic perspective, it was no different than how I approach sports. You know, the same, like once I understood the technical fundamentals of lacrosse or football, I then started to think about game theory. Like how do I get there one second earlier than the next guy? Or how do I beat that person to the punch, so to speak? And that's why I love facing off in lacrosse. It was it was a, it was a, again, it was a, you know, kind of a little bit of a bad story in terms of capitalism, a win lose, but, you know, but nevertheless, it helped me sort of shape my thinking. And so, you know, painting wise, it was just that it was, you know, understanding that, you know, most contractors show up late, messy, uh, and charge a shitload of money. And all we had to do was show up on time, clean and charge something fair. And frankly, yeah. the rest of it didn't matter. We were terrible <laughs> painters. We, none of us, I, to this day, my wife laughs because I can't put a, you know, we have light bulbs that need to be changed in our house that I'm just, I'm a total, total idiot. But what I did understand was, you know, the same thing that, you know, I think many of us were taught in team sports, which is Mm -hmm. how do you build culture? How do you treat people with class? How do you think about, you know, building something that others can have a part of? Because I think that's, you know, the ultimate creation is when you can create not only what you see in your vision and your strategy and your yeah. your creativity, but then when you can also do it for others. That's pretty awesome. And you reference this, you're, you're 23 and you decide to start a business. At Hopkins, it's sort of, you know, doctors, lawyers, you know, business folks, iBankers. How did you sort of, how did you navigate that sort of, I almost want to call it courage in some ways to sort of go off and say, I'm going to, I'm going to start this, uh, this consulting venture when you're, when you're in your early twenties. So you're leading the witness, you know, the story. (laughs) Yes. I want to hear it. So I, you know, again, I think everyone wants to hear that. Like I woke up one day and I just, I got the courage inside of me and I just went from there and that's, that's, that's part of it. But you know, the other part of it is I I've always been pretty good at this, which is surrounding myself with super smart people, which will sound, you know, cliche or trite, but you know, if you have ever found yourself, you know, at kind of a crossroads and, you know, you think to yourself about some significant moments in your life, you likely, you know, the old adage of when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And that could be yep. a form of people or, or just events. But for me, you know, I had, I had uh, you know, just, you know, experienced three massive deaths in my life, which had totaled about 23 funerals at that point. My mom had passed, my cousin, my mentor, and that mentor was the the last house we ever painted. I mean, so you just hmm. like keep rocking out the, the serendipity here. You know, the last house that my crews ever painted was a disaster. So it was sort of like it began the way it ended, which was a disaster. <laughs> and this guy was a, he was actually a, an old banker, speaking of IB. And he, you know, would kind of ask me questions. He left the banking world to become a writer. I couldn't figure that out. And uh, I was like, he's like, look, you have to do what you love to do. And this is, you know, we're talking late 90s here. Like, what does yeah. that mean? Right. Yeah. 
And he just kept asking me about my story and, you know, kind of doing what you're doing, which is like, look, I mean, this is amazing, but it's a fish out of water. What were you doing at the school? And I said, no, nah, I'm going to go work at Anderson. He's like, I mean, you're joking. Like, I, it's awesome. You got the job. It's awesome. You got the offer. <laughs> but like, I mean, like, I need you to think about that a little bit. Like, you know how to type. You don't. You Can you program and see? You don't. Are you going to be able to, like, fit inside of a multi-tens of thousands of people and, like, really be a conformist? I'm like, yeah, I mean, look, I just need to make money. And, and he yeah. ultimately was the one that I give all the credit, and, and particularly right after he passed, I kind of felt like, you know, life is short. I mean, you know, the real reality is I was never going to make it there. I, I, I right. think the bullshit that people say is like, oh, you would have figured it out. No, I wouldn't have. I, I would have about six months in, they would have found out that I was a fraud. I, I, I was not the person that they wanted to hire. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, for me, the, you know, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time again with a guy who had seen a lot of this unfold and was like, look, I'm an executive coach. I think, you know, you have really good, you know, instincts around business and strategy. Why don't you help me build this, this model? And, uh, and, you know, and again, I think that's, that's a lot of what creation is. Like, it's not, you know, you weren't like born Picasso, there's a Beethoven, all these greats that, you know, we, we aspire to be. And there's so many other people though, that have done great things in the world. And I think that's, you know, sometimes their journey starts a little later than others. And I think that's, that's how I feel about mine. Yeah, I think there's a there's a quote I'm reminded of 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 uh, Deb Millman, who's this you know world leading designer, and she talks about that it's not about confidence that's important, and when, especially when you're in your 20s, it's courage, and it's courage to take that first step when everyone tells you not to, and uh, you know you, you, courage comes from people around you supporting you and all those things, but at the end of the day, you then still have to take that first step, and I think that's a, a kind of a, a good illustration of. Uh, you know, you, you, the doors were in front of you and you sort of, there was one that you had to like, you know, open and push and it was rocky and those things. And the other one looked pretty clear, but that, that, uh, the people around you helping you, you nudge through, it was pretty, pretty neat, pretty neat. Well, and, and go with that one more second, because I think the other spot of this is that, and then the people who loved me most thought I was out of my mind. Yeah. So I think, you know, as much as the mentors in your life, I think, you know, being able to distinguish, I saw this was a quote Tim Ferriss posted the other day in his book, he was speaking to a rabbi and he said, you know, the, it's something along, along the lines of the, the greatest distinctions you can make in life are the opportunities to be seized and the temptations to be resisted. Hmm. And I just like, that struck me yep. in a way that I was like, yep. Like, yeah, I'm sure people have heard that before. And for me, you know, like, of course I want to listen to the people around me, but right. they, they, in that particular, you know, place and time were like, you got to go take the job. You got to go take the job. And frankly, you know, for the next five years, as they saw a struggle mightily, <laughs> would continue to say in a very helpful way, like, look, there's no shame. There's no shame in quitting. There's no shame in quitting. And, you know, back to, you know, I'm a pretty easy coin operated machine. I mean, by everyone telling me to quit is why we're talking to each other right now, 17 years later. Yeah. Just, it is that simple. And I think, you know, that begets a whole nother conversation around, well, like, you know, but are you getting like user feedback when your product, <laughs> right. you know, and that, that's tough. You know, it's back to like, how do you distinguish between getting good feedback and frankly, swimming upstream and not listening to anyone? Yep. I mean, I think that's the plight of an entrepreneur. Yep. I'm reminded of your, your quote about the, from the, the rabbi of, of the, the Warren Buffett, uh, 25, five. Have you heard of this? Uh, is he basically, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. I think it's a really compelling one for us as entrepreneurs. Cause I think that there's this sense that like, 
part of it is you can make anything look attractive and you can convince yourself it's attractive. And so uh, Warren Buffett was asked, how is he successful? And he says, listen, I've got this every you know quarter, every month, whatever period of time. He goes and he lists the 25 most important things to him, number one through 25, and he ranks them. And then what he says is the secret isn't that. The secret is, is I religiously avoid doing anything on number six through 25. Because those are the things that are going to prevent you from actually achieving greatness and the five things you need to focus on. And, and I think right. that's a really compelling thing is to think about it is that we need to focus and focus is oftentimes where, where the magic, uh, magic comes from. Yep. Yep. That's, it's, uh, it's, uh, really good for me to hear right now, given the six and seven and <laughs> later today, but no, I appreciate that. Six and seven are the hardest ones. I, every day I have to kick myself and my wife is really good at kicking me on six and seven. She knows what they are and she's like, don't do them. Don't do them. Right. I mean, but it's fun. You know, I think the other part of this too is, you know, once you start creating, you know, you're going to find, at least for me at times, which is, you know, you'll think you can bend time and you can't. Right. You really can. Yep. And you can't. I mean, it just gets to a point where you can't. And so whether it's the analogy of how many holes can you really dig deep or, you know, the 25 five or the, the, the 25 thing from Buffett, I mean, I think it's all good. And I also think, you know, you just got to build in failure. I mean, yeah. every single thing you do is not going to be amazing. Yeah. So I want to, I want to uh, transition a little bit here to uh, actually the way that we met was through, through your book. And I think um, the book was the way that it connected us through Scott Case, who's, who's was my business partner. Yep. And, and ultimately I think it in, in a lot of ways has, has positioned you as much an author as it has a, a an, an entrepreneur in a, in a lot of ways. You know, you've, you've created this book. It has taken this life of its own, you know, making bestseller lists. Um, but I want to go back to that sort of point when you decide to write this book, right. because, you know, as you said, you're, you're in this middle of this business and you're, you're running a small business and all of these priorities, you know, the, the, the six through 25, how did you decide that that was sort of writing a book was something you needed to do that wasn't number 15. It was actually something that needed to be number three. Yeah. So the backstory for me to write the book was actually a story of 2008, uh, we were an early innovator in the recession, the Great Recession, meaning that we lost a million dollars, I think, way before anybody else did. <laughs> so, you know, we had to quickly retool the business, which meant, you know, we were in a position of less options. And if it was going to move forward, it was going to have to move forward in a different way. And so my partner and I split after a really long time and in a very amicable way. But all of a sudden, I found myself at like legitimately the captain's chair by myself with a bunch of really amazing people who believed in what we what we wanted to do. So, you know, to me, like this was the perfect moment to say, all right, let's almost burn it all down and build it back up. Let's, mm -hmm. let's prove to ourselves that if we follow our own medicine, that if we eat our own dog food, like grab your favorite analogy, that this would work. If it works for us, it'll work for others. And so that's what we did for three years. Plus, like I, you know, Monday through Thursday, we worked on client stuff and Fridays, we made it the day to focus on us. Like I said, mm -hmm. me not work. This may end up failing miserably, but no one's ever going to look back on us and say, you guys didn't learn. You didn't train yourselves. You didn't, you know, you weren't like the most well-trained group of little, you know, management consultants on the planet. Like I said, that will never be us. We're going to be like the Navy SEALs of management consulting. So for three <laughs> straight years, we did that. You know, imagine Monday th through, through Thursday, basically a work week. And then on Fridays, we brought in people, we meditated, we, we worked, we strategized, we planned. And out of all those conversations, got to a point where it's like, okay, we're, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. What's our next stage? Like, how do we get yeah. to more people? How do we create more impact? Like, you know, for me, 
you know, that, that has always been kind of a, a, a very important part of my life is how am I, you know, how is what I'm doing? Like when I head hits the pillow at night, I, I sleep so soundly when I feel like I'm in congruency with what my purpose is and like, what am I here to do? And I think part of that was starting to gnaw at me. And in this way, which goes all the way back to the first part of this interview, which is, you know, no one knew who I was. I just mm-hmm. was so stingy with all of these stories. Cause I sort of said like, who would care about any of this? Like what, we're not that special. You know, I have a knack for being self deprecating. And so not owning our successes, but really like over owning our failures. Mm-hmm. I tend to find people like me are wired that way. So we're like, Oh, it's lucky. I'm fortunate. <laughs> right. And then when I fuck it up, I go way over the top. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was all me. Yep. That was all me. And there's something I think that people find endearing to some degree, but if you get to know me, it becomes annoying because then it almost becomes disingenuous. Yeah. And, you know, and this is just self-work here, right? And so in 2011, I'm like, I got to write a book. That's what people do in this space. So, you know, if you want to do some market research, like if you're a consultant, you can either go into government contracting, go work for a big company, or you got to publish a book. And Mm -hmm. if you publish a book, it's got to be successful. Yep. And so, you know, I did my homework. So I went and studied from a bunch of people at the time that were helping authors get their stuff out there. And then, you know, I spent, you know, a lot of time thinking about like, what would be really unique and and certainly from my heart, like what really could I put on on paper that would be, you couldn't, it would be inarguable. Like you might not like the content, the writing might suck, but no one's ever questioned my heart when that book came out. Yeah, And that's, something to be, you know, for me, that was a, that was, you know, I wanted to make my kids proud. Right. Yep. So, you know, that, that was sort of the impetus and the, and, you know, I think from a, a book standpoint, you know, certainly as it's easier to publish, which means it's harder to make it successful. Right. Right. And, and I think you're, you know, you, you go in with this, Hey, I'm going to write a book. You, you sort of, you know, I saw, saw an interview where you say, you know, I, this became a New York Times bestseller, number one in Barnes and Noble, and you you even beat Fifty Shades of Grey. So, like, what, what do you feel when you see this book that you've you know you basically sort of did because you felt like it sort of is the next step? But you did you have any kind of like aspirations that it could be that much of an impactful um, book to you? So I'm gonna like no BS. So it took us 90 days, and I say us because I had a team helping me put together the book. 90 days, the manuscript is done. It took me 12 months to figure out if we wanted to have an impact with this book. Hmm. There's a couple of interesting things I learned. Number one, 20% of the people back then, it was just a study I saw, that actually buy a book, read a book. Wow. From front to end. So just think about it. So if you sold 10 copies, only two of them are actually going to read the whole thing. And so in my mind, because I was back in this sort of purest state of, of, of view, is, well, then if we want it like... 100,000 people <laughs> to be affected by this, like we'd have to sell a million. I mean, like yeah. 500,000, my math is off, but whatever it is, yeah. like starting in a weird, crazy place. That was number one. Number two, there's like 30 plus 40,000 books published every single year yeah. in this exact area, which is crazy, right? And then number three is very similar in music and movies that if your launch is not successful, like Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie could get back together. It could have like a hot steamy romance, all nude coming out this weekend. But if that movie doesn't finish in the top three or four, it's gone from the studio. Yeah. Right. And so when you put all of this together, you know, there's a one other little interesting thing about this whole industry that I learned. And again, I would hardly call myself an expert in this particular industry, which is, 
you know, you get graded on a curve, which is exactly how I made it through Hopkins. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm actually, I just got the meeting with a super smart, like computer science engineer guy from Hopkins. I'm not kidding. Like, and you know, it, just because we have the same degree does not mean we have, <laughs> right, right. like by even, and that's not even being self-deprecating. That's just being honest. Yeah. So yeah. I, I got through that school through multiple choice psychology tests, through economics classes, because I was pretty decent at business. And I took other classes where, frankly, the other athletes took because I'd be treated yep. against them, not all the smart kids. No offense, <laughs> by the way, a lot of smart guys I played football with that are now like doctors and, you know, don't work anymore. So you learn these things. And so, you know, what did we learn and grow regardless that February in that particular time frame was the worst month to launch a business book. It was after Q4, the whole holiday season, and it's the shortest month of the year. We also learned that the worst week of the worst month to launch, which sounds funny to do, which is the week after Super Bowl. Hmm. And so, you know, there's this weird storybook ending or storybook, you know, for me is that in that particular year, you know, my son, you know, my wife gives birth to our son, you know, the Ravens go to the Super Bowl, I go take my dad down, it was like bucket list item, they win. And then that night, on the way back to the airport, I'm checking out Barnes and Noble, because we launched that night. And I saw that, you know, it was like 1230. And I see that we're number one. Wow. You know, and then the next subsequent weeks, it was like, absolutely amazing. And, and we knew that we wanted to do something like that. So we worked and hustled and, you know, there's a lot of things that we tried to, to, to make happen. And it was only because sincerely, it had nothing to do with ego, the significance, the title, the accolades. It was, if people are going to care about this book, they've got to see that others care. They've got to see that there's some third party, there's some deeming of this by someone else so that they stop their lives to pick this thing up, to find it interesting. Because if not, it could be like, there's, there's so many awesome books I've read that nobody know about. Right, right. So that's what we did. And your book was one of those ones too, that you, you really did kind of go into this concept of like, sort of putting it all on the table. And I got to, I got to think that, you know, you're running a small business, you're still trying to grow it. You've sort of built up this proprietary knowledge. Did you have this trepidation of saying like, I'm going to put it all out there. I, I saw a, a quote that you gave, you know, we shared it all, everything we'd done in a humble warrior approach of even sharing all the ways that we'd screwed up. What, you know, was there this fear of saying like, I'm giving people my playbook. Is this the right time to do it? So, you know, what's funny about that is, you know, maybe it's because I came from, I've always had a little insecurity about not knowing enough or, you know, and I think that helps sort of drive my insatiable thirst for knowledge and, hung, you know, hunger of learning. But for us, even back in the day, like it just, it seems so odd to me that we like, I'll give you an example. The fact that we ever thought with the sheer vastness of the universe that we're alone, hmm. that there aren't other earth planets that until January, 2016, this is, this is a thing I wrote about a little while ago. January 2016 or July 2016, NASA comes out and says, you know, we went from June 30, no, to July, you know, of 2016, 1,287 Earth-like planets. <laughs> right. Like, like, but like, even as like a five-year-old, it just seems to make so much sense to me that we're not that significant. Right. Like, I love looking at the beach. I heard, uh, God, who would I, I was listening to someone recently talking about surfing and it's like, it sort of reminds us of how so insignificant when you see something so vast, right? Like that's what maybe we're drawn to other than that's where we came from. And for me, like that's the same sort of thing, which is 
Like, I can't possibly think that what we're teaching today is going to be valid tomorrow. I mean, there's never been a time in human history where things are moving so fast. Like 10 years ago, the iPhone, Thomas Friedman's book was amazing, talking about just the perspective and the context of this. So like, to be completely candid, there's no reason not to share because it's all invalid tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Like there's another truth that will be found tomorrow that may or may not be closely connected to what you're talking about. So, you know, if you've if you're resting on that you've created the answer to how to solve the Rubik's Cube, good for you. And if you feel like <laughs> right. the test of time, then maybe you should hold back. But if you feel like what you're doing or what you've got to share is going to be an evolving truth that's dynamic, that's growth sort of centered, then I'd say share it not only because the it, it's only going to be as good as the time frame that people use it for some at some level, but the second piece is it's going to make it more authentic. Like I think people are so done with the paid walls or so done with like, you know, not being able to get to the truth. Now look, there's some cool marketing around this, but I think the, 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 the way people really, you know, when you see someone like Oprah Winfrey recently given that speech at the golden, right. Club, like if your heart didn't beat faster, you're an asshole. And by the way, like if you, for some reason, see that speech and, and it doesn't give you goosebumps. Like I, I'm going to tell you any one of the clients that we're working with today, you should fire us today. Yeah, because like that, whether you like her or not, she spoke from her soul, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's how we received it. Whether again you like her or not, doesn't matter. Yeah. So that's to me the best form of art, where it is like unencumbered, unfiltered, not worried about sort of this human condition mm-hmm. that it's just sort of coming from me, which is actually coming from you, which is the exact same thing because we are all the same fucking thing. Yep. You are sharing something that in a lot of ways is this sort of, it was a little bit kind of contrarian in some, some senses, right? You're coming out of 2008 and there's this sort of like, oh, it's, it's unfair, like the world stacked against us. And you come out with kind of these, in a lot of ways that I would say, you know, sort of simple-ish principles, right? Like we, want, we need to learn how to tell our stories better and think of employees as clients. You know, why did it work? I mean, you know, why do you think that that sort of like, uh, these simple concepts just so much resonated at the time and place that that it was because it was all said before hmm. and and not because you there's not at all you know as you qualify slightly about simple ish yeah there you know <laughs> one says you know it's like common sense principles that aren't so common yeah I mean we know sugar's bad people still do it we know we should be more thoughtful and less biased but we still do it like. We, we, I think we find what resonates with us, that which we recall and we remember most, or we remember at some point in our lives. We don't do well with new data sets and new information that we've never heard or seen before. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, that's to me, you know, it's the, it's the reason I watch Rocky over and over and over again. It's not right. because I don't know the ending. It's, it's like, I actually enjoy re-remembering the struggle and the sacrifice and it helps me you know, sort of maybe put myself back in that place. And, and I think in business, this gets to, you know, next book and kind of what we're up to, but it's like, you know, I think that's the opportunity. Like, I love what you're doing in, in your class and, and hearing more about, you know, how do we reshape kind of the way in which people are working, the way in which people are learning, the way in which people are doing business. Like, I think that's the playground, like that's the new canvas, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's the, 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 this crazy, amazing opportunity where things are being disrupted and just innovation everywhere. And it's like, you know, I mean, it just, it's, it's just, it's an amazing time to be alive. Yeah. 
you know, your book almost is this, you know, like you said, this sort of movement piece in a lot of ways. You have like, I mean, I've counted like 15 pages of people uh, giving their blurbs about the book. How do you go about this process? I mean, you know, were there any of them that you're nervous thinking like, hey, I'm writing this book here. You know, I, I'm looking for you to sort of uh, to to uh, give me a, a thumbs up on it. How do you go about getting, you know, this entire network, a lot of people to say, hey, we want to be back behind this book? Yeah. So I think, you know, maybe not said perfectly, but the book and what you see in there is a reflection of work done, mm-hmm. not work to be done. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds like a really subtle nuance, but I want like, if you can just unpack that and think about it this way, those people endorsed us for the work we had done. Those people saw the book as an afterput or, or, or an output rather of not theories, not things to be tested, but things that had actually been done and done in a way that were you know, like a win for them, a win for others, and a win for the world. And I think it's not hard to get people on board when you say, look, this could cure cancer. Now, that's not what I'm suggesting the book was promising. But but in a sense, this book could cure the ills of, you know, the, the world and society if people thought about, you know, getting rid of the, the caste system and, and going to more of an equitable work environment. If people led with more mission and why, gosh, why would that be a bad thing? And if, and if you cared about market demographics, that's how the millennials are going to buy anyway, just as an early, 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 you know, sort of indicator. And, and, and that's like, again, that's like grandma and apple pie, right? You know, like who's going to really debate that? And I think, you know, to your point, it's like that to me is the, the, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, in this next book, it's all about how do you change, how do you say things that have never been said mm-hmm. before? How do you use science in a way of, 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 of trying to, you know, and who knows, right? Who knows what's going to happen with that? But in terms of getting people to, to endorse the book early, you know, it's got to be a reflection of the stuff that you've done. Now, look, we went out on a limb. I, look, I sent the book to Scott. Mm-hmm. I sent the book to, gosh, I went, <laughs> I mean, candidly, I, I, I sent it to every member of Congress. Hmm. So 535 books were sent out. Um, you know, I did that on me cause I thought, gosh, like imagine if, you know, five of them call us, well, three of them did. Mm, wow. And they were like, yeah, like something to think about. Now I am wholly aware that that meant nothing <laughs> that, that, you know, it didn't go anywhere, but like back to, you know, it's just the intent behind it. That was, you know, what I told people, I said, look, you know, you're going to be part of this book. I'm going to send it to every member of Congress. I'm, I'm not kidding about like, how do we create this little mini micro movement? Um, and, and how can we create space? Like that book was also very purposely de- designed to go deep into four organizations that I wanted to be part of this, like front and center to highlight them. And then, you know, the people that endorsed it, I mean, you know, tactically we sent out a blurb and we sent out, you know, would you be willing to put a couple words to this? Yeah. Yeah. How did you decide to send? I mean, I think it's awesome and crazy all at the same time. How do you decide to say, I'm going to send out 500 copies to every member of Congress? What's the, what's the, like, was this like a middle of the night or were you drunk? Like, how do you make that call? It, yeah. I mean, this is like the the chip on my shoulder, the blue collar kid, let me in the yeah. room, you son of a guns. This is also though, like my journey of learning about just the system and the, mm-hmm. the, the politics of you know, how things are done. I, I'm, you know, nowhere near, again, have learned anything yet, but I was so fed up with, you know, sequestration and right. watching these things unfold at the time and, you know, adding this to the subtitle, despite the government, I had actually right. a ton of people that would say, you know, you're out of your mind and then to send it to them after that. Yeah. Uh, and again, I, I think, you know, part of this, you know, you learn this from like guys like Branson and Elon Musk, like, there, you got to check it, right? Which is some of this can yep. come off as ego. 
and, and this is about me and significance. And, and don't get me wrong. I have an ego. It's just not about this stuff. Yeah. Um, but the other side of it is there is a stunty part of this that you just got to get comfortable with. So Peter Diamandis launches prize, you know, the whole X prize with no cash. That's stunty, right? You know, you think <laughs> about Branson and what he did with the, the hot air balloons and, you know, and, and always trying to put like Virgin Airlines on the front of the newspaper. That's stunty. Mm-hmm. Well, I was trying to think of like, what's our stunt? Right, right. And so sending it to them with the subtitle of, we don't need this. We'll do this without you. Yep. Was stunty. That was, <laughs> and yes, I'm sure alcohol was involved. That's good. That's yeah. good. Were, were the, of the three that got back to you, any, uh, any interesting feedback from them? Did they, nothing. did they like the stunt? Absolutely nothing. I have nothing interesting to share. Like I wish it was like, and they voted this way in the next, no, they, nothing. They, you know, a couple of people reached back out with letters. Thank you for the book. A couple people reached out and I talked to like a representative in Texas. I have no idea what his name was. Um, and, and then the mayor of, uh, gosh, what camp, what was that? Was it, it's next to, uh, uh, San Diego, La Jolla, Irvine, oh. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. He had me come out cause he was like really pro business and you can see these pictures. I look so tired and like, <laughs> like I'm sitting next to him, like did a little book sign there. And I like, I was like, Oh, I'm with the mayor of like, you know, this cool town. And again, he was super, super, super amazing about it. And, uh, and then, and then look, I looked at other boards which if I'm not mistaken, I looked at uh, the one that Scott was on with uh, Magic Johnson and mm-hmm. um, yeah, this is Malaria No More with Peter Chernin and yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, I will never forget the moment that I'm sitting in bed laying next to my wife, which is sort of an odd thing to say that I'm like looking at my email and I get an email back or I just get an email period from Scott because I didn't have his email. Yeah. And he's like, Hey, did you send me this? Like in a real, like, I was like, Oh fuck. Like I, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, really interesting. I think I want to meet with you. And I'm like, yeah. this is it. Like we've, yeah. we've reached the pinnacle. Like, and it was, and he was, you know, as you know, he's really, really super approachable, accessible guy. You know, we, we sat and talked for a few times. He introduced me to you. And, uh, and, and it just also put me, you know, in a place where it's like, you know, someone who's, a, who's one this smart to achieve this much success, you know, it's what you think a lot of them are, which is they want to talk. They want right, to right. help. They want to support. And at the same time, they're saying things that we can't even listen to because yeah. I'm doing the same thing that other people today. Like yeah. I'm going to be mentoring a, a, this, this woman entrepreneur. She's got this amazing business idea. And I know like 80% of what I'm going to tell her today, she's not going to listen. She's not in the place. <laughs> right. Because we're all, that's, that's just, again, we're the human condition. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I think I think you know you're 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 right about the the elements of it. Is that a big portion of this one is you just sort of get yourself in the room and and who knows what will exactly happen from it. And I think you're you're uh, it's a good it's a good evidence. You you put this out there. You're very open about it. And I think people mostly are looking for that authenticity, right? They're looking for people who are saying like, "There's a lot of things I don't know, but let me share you what really I do know." And uh, and I want to make it better and, and improve on those. So I think that's a good. A good example of that. I was just, you just, you know, you have to just sort of think that, you know, people are, when they read your book, you know, like we're talking about this from five years ago. Yeah. So it's, it may not be relevant to me now, but it's relevant to you or it's relevant to whomever. And, and that's, you've, you've got to remember to honor that, I think is important. Yeah. 
And so I think you, you give us a good point to transition. You, you know, as a, uh, as a first time author, every first time author I've ever met is already thinking about their, their next book. And so as you've evolved as both a, an entrepreneur and a business person, a book that was sort of aimed at the early entrepreneur set, uh, sort of small business set, what's the, what's sort of the, the, the preview of the next book that you're, that you're working on? Yeah. So it's, it's called Shift the Work. It's the revolutionary science of going from apathetic to all in using your head, heart, and gut. So it's, it's this whole idea that, you know, we, you know, the center of this is to think about employees, is to think about, frankly, human beings, to think about people who don't look forward to Mondays, <laughs> that a third of our waking time is spent working, and that we are in kind of a world that, you know, particularly in this country, that you should not have to do anything you don't want to do. I mean, there's more job openings than ever before. If you want to learn how to uh, become a data scientist, you can take a free course right now from Harvard to do that, right? Google sponsored this, these amazing programs. And, you know, never before have you had, you know, sitting in your hand, the answers to the world's problems or questions or whatever the case may be. So if there were ever an excuse to not wait until retirement to enjoy your life or to not watch the clock tick down one little talk at a time, like to me, yes, there's been books to talk about, find your passion, find your purpose. But what I started digging into right after Grow Regardless was like, you know, what's the science say to this? Yeah. I, you know, as much as I'm not, a, you know, a science geek per se, I've always been, you know, sort of very, uh, you know, uh, interested in, you know, watching the evolving science, particularly the brain. Yeah. Like in the last three or four years, we know more about the human brain and frankly, the other brains in the body than we've learned in the last like 3000. And, and mm -hmm. if you start to like, look at how bad we all make decisions. So if anybody's ever gambled before, like that's a bad decision, right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> or, or if you've been with someone though who understands how to count cards, good decision. Yeah. Yep. And so, just at a very basic level, then what kind of decisions do we make in terms of where we work? And so, when I start looking into this, um, I you know remember the whole idea of following your heart and trusting yep. your gut. These were sayings that were developed in the fifties and sixties when scientists found a neuron network, a, a essentially a brain in your heart and a brain in your gut. Hmm. And when you do more work around this, which you tend to, you can connect this, that the, the baby boomers were really connected to the knowledge worker. It's what Drucker talked about, like the knowledge in your head, the priorities, like how do I learn my cognition? How do I think for tomorrow? What's interesting about Generation X, as we came onto the scene, is we were all about following this passion, like do something that's fun, foosball tables, beer at work. Right. That was what happened in the 90s because, you know, different job you know, opportunities availed themselves, which then created this, you know, unequal weight in the market for talent, which meant you could go get a job, get stock options and retire by the time you were 26. And if you start to look at the science behind it, it's, it's, it's also, you know, we go from like dopamine to serotonin, we talk about oxytocin, like these are, this is all biochemical. So if you, if you believe that, you know, when I go jump on a plane next week, you know, do I want to fly with a pilot who's got a lot of cortisol or a lot of serotonin? <laughs> said no one ever cortisol yeah, exactly. like, you know you didn't have to go to med school everybody knows exactly what i'm talking about no one has to be a scientist like you're like cortisol doesn't sound good no shit it doesn't sound good and so that comes from the gut so the idea that you know the millennials are now the first generation that are potentially able to connect their gut to their work which also then connects to this sort of social minded i'm connected to the collective i'm not coming from a place of fear that i can't feed myself i'm coming from a place of fear that i can't find myself hmm. i'm coming from a place of fear that I'm not going to live a life worth living, 
Well, all of a sudden, this no longer becomes a motivational speech anymore. This is actually right. rooted in science. And so what I've talked about is this whole idea of your head, your heart, your gut, how you find this at work. And uh, it's really, really, it's just a fascinating subject. It's amazing. What, what do you, so what would you tell if, if a, you know, a 21 year old comes and they're basically have this suite of job opportunities in front of them, or they could pursue their own thing. What, do, what is the, what do you tell someone at that point? Like, how do you coach them through that? Cause I think you're, there's a very, very big set of people who sort of feel sort of analysis paralysis. There's all these things, but there's not sort of frameworks to process those sorts of things. What's the, the short version that you tell someone at that stage in life? That's your nice way of saying I'm a little long winded. So the, no, the, no. I don't. The, the, so I think the, the first thing that we would test, so let's go through the head, heart and gut quickly. This is easy. So the head is about priorities. So to me, if you don't know what your top three priorities are in your work environment, in your work journey, in, in, in this, this place that you're going to spend a third of your time. So this isn't pay. This isn't benefits. This is who do I work with? Who do I work for? What might I be doing? What would I be learning? How am I going to challenge myself? Like if you, can't name the three most important things to you in your work environment. You're, I mean, you're not a loser. You're just, you're not being thoughtful. You're not being intentional. You're not being deliberate. And so that will connect directly with the next brain, which is our brain, which is like, what do you really love to do that you might edge out the people around you? Like, do you make prop, do you solve problems in a different way? Are you super creative? Do you understand tech, digital? I mean, what's the thing that you can inch out? Like, what's the, the way in which you can potentially connect with others. We connect with our gifts, our gifts, and the way that we connect with others, by the way, is heart to heart, hug to hug. Like oxytocin's created. It's why our mothers didn't eat us. Like, again, this is all like biological. And then the final thing is simple. It's legacy. It's purpose. It's your gut. Like, how will you know your time is worth it? Hmm. Like, if what will it cumulatively add up to? So we all want to like start changing the world at 23, like the old Rumi quote, which is, you know, a clever man said, I want to change the world. A wise man said, I, I want to first change myself. Hmm. Right? Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. So this one is where Simon Sinek has really done a great job of like, you know, getting all the millennials to say, hey, just work first, change the world later. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of it, which is if you're clear on your priorities, your passion, your purpose, like just go get a job and yeah. just like work. Yeah. And then if it doesn't work out, like do something else. But like, you know, my dad has still worked for the same guy 40 years later. And some of it is because he had to, and some of it is because he wants to, but most of it was because he had to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, I think that's the opportunity is to stop being so wacky about perfect. Like don't let perfect ruin good or good ruin perfect or whatever the saying is. And I think that's the the opportunity is to get connected in your, your priorities in your head, your passion, your heart, your purpose, and your gut. Well, I think it fits and fits into a lot of what I've seen. And I think it's, I think it's timely that you're doing it because I think there's this, uh, th- sort of no time better in, in history than to sort of take control. And I think that's what people are longing for is feeling like they're, they're in control. And I think even if you're at a place that you don't love, if you are structuring that experience there to learn something great, you know, one of the, the most amazing stats someone told me is if you want to be able to predict if someone is basically happy at their job or not, you can ask, does your manager ask you what are your long-term plans? They don't actually care whether you're loved. They know that you're not going to stay there forever, but you just sort of want to know that people are sort of interested in what your long-term path is. And and I think that the the pushback or the flip side of that is, well, then if if they don't ask you, you should tell them, right? Like you should tell them, listen, my long-term path is priorities that you laid out is this. And that sort of like opening this dialogue to put yourself in the driver's seat, I think is what sort of the, the missing piece today is that people feel sort of like, well, I, I'm just out of control. I don't have control of it. Whereas I think today we really can have way more control over our, our own destiny. 
Well, and I think part of it too is, you know, all of us leaving that dopamine economy and going to more of the serotonin place, which is not looking for the, the quick fix, the instant gratification, the, you know, the, 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 again, the attainment of stock options, the company goes public and I never work again. You know, we've all seen this script before, which is, you know, NFL athletes, you know, 70% of them when they leave the NFL within a year are broke or, right. or die. Uh, you know, lottery winners, we have this inherent, if I didn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. And I think the the idea that we'll ever be finished working is, you know, I'm like, I plan to live until I'm 126, God willing, and, you know, no crazy accidents. And I think that's, you know, you and me have that opportunity. So like, okay, I've got, you know, 86 years left, like, what am I going to do? Yeah. And, and, you know, again, like human, you know, our, the average lifespan has like tripled Mm-hmm. In the last couple hundred years, like, like we, you know, so yeah, you got one marriage, one career, like, well, that's, you know, you're not doing it anymore. I'm not yeah. saying, by the way, it all gets worse. I'm just <laughs> saying, like, but the idea, though, I do think, you know, this, this transformation moment we find ourselves in human history right now is like not relying on governments, not relying on your first pick, not relying on your first anything, because you might get a, a second chance at bat, like right now is, is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, it, there's never been a better net for anybody listening to this. Chances are they got a pretty good social network under them that no one's going to go hungry, starve to death, or be sitting in a homeless shelter later. Yep. Well, and you're, you know, you, you, uh, at that rate, if you're going to live to 126, you may actually see another Raven Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, come on. <laughs> By the way, are you, you're not a Redskins fan, are you? I'm I'm a Seattle fan. That's probably my my team. Although I I grew up in Nebraska, so I don't really have a team. I'm kind of like a I can I can be a Fairweather fan because I don't I'm like right. that's it, you know. Well, we need a wrap because I'm heading to Seattle Monday, so we'll talk. Oh, good. About it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, uh, so I guess last thing is is sort of when when do we expect uh, your next book out? And uh, you know, any anything that we can do to help you. Uh, it should be early March, uh, shift the work. Uh, so we will put, uh, I will get you all the, the details, but if you go to shift you'll see our site today and then we'll probably ghost it for a bit and, uh, just be promoting the book hard. Um, I think the, you know, here's what I would say to anybody listening to this, who's either read a book ever has written a book ever is go back and support the industry. And yeah through just buying books, but like reviewing books, you know, this has been kind of my pet peeve recently, which is, you know, we all have to have each other's backs here. It's not that the industry is just declining. It's that, you know, with the volume and velocity of, of different books that are coming out, it's like, we sort of like, we, we kind of like hit it and forget it. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, wait a minute, like go back and, and, and make sure not because you're trying to throw just good karma out, but you know, help people make good decisions on the next book that they read with the short lives that we have. I think that's, you know, super important, not just for our book, but certainly anybody, you know, yep. and I think we sometimes forget the power of that, that somebody someday is going to read your review and go, I got to read that book. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a good piece. I think that is, uh, knowledge is best when it's shared. And so if you read something good or a you know, piece of it, uh, buy, buy a book, give a book as a gift. I think it's a great, great reminder. Right. Awesome. Well, I, this has been fascinating. It's fun. I'm sure you and I could do this for hours. And uh, like I said, now that you have a podcast coming out, I would love to uh, repay the favor and and, yeah. uh, and the same thing. So please count on me for that one. But this has been super awesome. And I think uh, I am. Uh, I now have four or five more books that I'm going to add to my nightstand, which is great. And and uh, super excited for for the next book and, and to sort of see what comes out. I think that there is a time and now place where there are just people trying to rethink their own life career, and, and it's the the right time to be giving people the tools. So I'm excited to shift the work. Awesome, brother. Thank you.